What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career, and in the meantime, joins the four million other podcasts on the internet, and the John Cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Welcome in. This is the John Cast Podcast. We are in episode number 37 and a fantastic podcast to get to today. We're going to be talking some baseball. Well, everybody else is busy talking about quarterbacks switching teams or quarterbacks staying with their team. Let's talk a little bit of baseball um, because there's nothing to talk about on the field, but um, we'll, we'll break it all down with Tom Hodricourt, former Milwaukee Brewers beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. His last day on the job was this past Friday. Congratulations on what, 36 years, Tom? Yeah, 36 years covering the Brewers. Uh, 46 years total newspaper career going back to my days in Virginia. So, yeah, it's uh, hard to believe that I made it to the finish line, but I did. <laughs> so so what are you doing to keep busy now? <laughs> You've had a couple of days to, be, um, yeah. to have retirement here for you. Well, the, the trigger for this whole move was um, – the desire to get back to Virginia, the my home state, my wife's home state, that's where all of our family has been. And we've always thought that in retirement, that would be the place that we would return. And we've been talking about it a long time. And then uh, over the holidays, the um, opportunity came to buy a home in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, anybody that's tried to buy a house lately can tell you how crazy the market is. Um, and so we weren't sure that um, our offer would be accepted, but it was. And then so we've been in the fast lane ever since. And um, we'll be moving to Virginia in April. So I have plenty to keep me busy in my early days of retirement. Yeah, you've got to pack a house. What is that like? Because I couldn't even imagine what it would be like. Yeah, it's not much fun. I can tell you that. We first had to show it and sell it. Um, you know, and anybody that's ever sold a house will tell you you can't you know, leave a pair of jeans laying over a chair or <laughs> any mess <laughs> in the sinks or anything like that. You pretty much have to keep a spotless home, which is not the way most of us live life. Right. And, uh, so, but um, it's a, it, it is a, a crazy market out there now. Our house did sell fairly quickly, accepted offer anyway. So um, we're checking off a lot of big boxes in our life right now. Buy a home, sell a home, retire. You know, a lot of a lot of life changes coming at us. Yeah, right off the bat, one after another. You're not going to miss the uh, the uh, awfully cold days in the summertime near the lake, right? Aren't you? Or are you? Not, not going to miss <laughs> them. You know, it's as we do this podcast, it's 20 degrees where I live in Bayside. I'm pretty sure it's about 40 degrees warmer than that in Williamsburg, Virginia. So <laughs> they actually have spring there in Virginia. Imagine that. You know, something. Oh something that we just don't see in Wisconsin. We we have, I think, meteorological spring, but realistic spring is uh, hard to grasp. No, I've heard of this spring you speak of. Um, yeah. I'm interested to, to find out about it someday. Yes. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Hey, before we get into baseball, and there are some not-so-fun things to talk about with baseball that I do want to get your opinion on, I just want to remind everybody that this podcast is brought to you by a couple of different sponsors, brought to you by Ian's Pizza in Madison. You can check out the Ian's Pizza Johncast podcast bracket contest. We're giving away a 58-inch 4K television. You can go sign up. Sign up before the games start. There it is right there. Check it out. There's the uh, 
the 58-inch TV that we're going to be giving away. So that's at johncastpodcast.com. And this is also brought to you by me and Julio in Madison. They've got the most fantastic margaritas you could ask for. Plus, they've got specials all month long in the month of March. You can go check out um, their St. Patrick's Day specials on St. Patrick's Day on the 17th. They've got green margaritas, even more green margaritas than you could possibly get, plus green beer, corned beef and cabbage. Plus, they've got their monthly specials going on right now. Me and Julio, you can find them all over um, Instagram, also on my social media as well. And brought to you by Scani. We are making Scani t-shirts. This is the final Scani t-shirt. Here, I'll, I'll let you see this one too here, Tom. If you're watching on Spotify, you can watch. Now, this is, let me see, how do I get uh, how do I get us over here? Nope. This is me trying to push the right buttons, Tom. I don't know what I'm pushing. <laughs> don't well, get anyway, bored, huh? Don't get bored. So this was, it's a red shirt with don't get bored in white lettering. This was the advice that Chauncey Billups uh, gave to the Wisconsin volleyball team just a, a couple of months ago. I thought it was fantastic advice. I thought it was a good mantra for the 2022 season. Liz Gregorski is a player on the team, and she asked him, hey, what is your advice to that offseason, that next year after you've already won a championship? How do you try to repeat? And what's the biggest advice to, to, to do that? And Chauncey Billups said, because he played with the Pistons, won a championship, he said, don't get bored. Don't get bored. And I thought that was just the greatest piece of advice because once you get bored, you get complacent and um, and then things can be affected by that. So uh, don't get bored is the advice. It's kind of the rallying cry, I guess you could say, for the 2022 uh, volleyball national champions. So I don't know. Did you follow volleyball at all, Tom, when they were playing in December? Yeah, I, I saw the championship match and uh, it was impressive the level that was being, you know, I'm certainly not a volleyball expert, so I relied on the expertise of the broadcasters, but yeah. um, that, that was a pretty impressive high level of play, wasn't it? I mean, it, yeah. I know it sounds, that's kind of sounds like a duh thing that it'd be high level of play in the championship, but I mean, so, sometimes, you know, teams go flat or, just don't play that well. Those two teams looked like they were playing at the top of their game, and boy, was it tense. There were two matches. that The one before that in the Final Four against Louisville when they handed Louisville its first loss of the season, and then the one against Nebraska. It was two of the most exciting volleyball matches. Tom, I've been doing this since 2008, calling matches on the radio. Those were two of the top five most exciting matches I've ever been a part of, and they were back-to-back. -back. And that match against Nebraska, I think that the, the difference in points – between all the five sets were something like it was this tiny amount of, of, of points. I think it was 12 and you're talking about the, the max difference you can get is 10, you know? So yeah. like it, it was crazy to, to see how close and how exciting and how, you know, much every moment really mattered. And I, and I guess the backstory was big too, right? They had tried many times falling just short, you know, uh, a lot of seniors on that team. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, good for them. You know, yeah. good for them. It's, uh, it's, so don't uh, get bored. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you know, that'd be a good T-shirt to give the Major League <laughs> Baseball fans right now, too, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing going on. Um, so I want to talk about your retirement a little bit more, but I'll just start off. First of all, when will we get to see baseball this year? What is your prediction if you had to put on your prediction hat? Yeah, I, I thought – I thought um, Wednesday was going to be the day. It looked like they were getting a lot of the boxes checked off the union, the players union and major league baseball. And they, and, and they moved forward and moved toward each other. It's been so agonizing. And then I guess at the last minute, 
differences over the international draft, you know, something that management has wanted to do for a long time to avoid this helter-skelter signing of these 16-year-old players mm-hmm. in, in Latin America. And uh, then all of a sudden that blew it up. You know, the, la- the previous week, the co- um, competitive balance tax, otherwise known as the luxury tax, blew it up. So they keep finding these things, these roadblocks and negotiations that stop them from getting on the field. And I'm not sure that those particular battles are worth the damage they're causing. You know, they're, they're now canceling regular season games. That, that should be abhorrent to both sides, you know, both the union and management. These games are, are sacred. You know, at the, everybody goes, oh, it's 162 games. It doesn't matter what the number is. These are regular season games. It's one thing to, to cancel spring training games. And, and that's a whole nother matter. I feel so sorry for the people in Arizona and Florida who are just sitting there wondering if these teams are ever going to show up and start spring training. They've already lost a lot of their exhibition schedule, but to just start blowing up the regular season now, it's, it's just as bad as it gets. And it just seems unnecessary. And both sides are culpable in how it got to this point. It should have never gotten to this point. This they've had plenty of time, plenty of time to settle this collective bargaining agreement. Didn't help that they sat the first 43 days of the lockout without having any negotiating. And now this furious negotiating just uh, keeps falling short. It's very sad. You know, I uh, even though I'm retired and I'm no longer a baseball writer, I I obviously love the sport that I covered for all those years. And uh, I hate to see this. I really hate to see this. Um, it's just, you know, the, the, nothing good's going to come of this. The longer it goes, the harder it gets to fix. You know, players are going to start uh, hearing from owners, you're going to lose salary now and service time, and they're going to push back on that and say, no, you're locking us out. We're willing to play. So it just gets more problematic, John, as they uh, – get deeper into this because just all these ancillary issues are going to keep coming up. The, the service time and the full pay, we're going to start hearing a lot about that from the players union because they're saying we're not, we're not agreeing to cancel games. You're doing it. We're, we're, you're locking us out. We're ready to play. So their stance is this isn't our fault. Mm -hmm. Now that's true as far as games being canceled, but you know, there's culpability on both sides. You know, the players heard for so long that they lost, they quote-unquote lost the previous two uh, CBA negotiations that they seem determined to make up a ton of ground this time around. And maybe they're trying to make up too much ground in one negotiation. Maybe they should settle for what they have now and then five years from now try to get a little bit more back because it's hard to get so many changes in one CBA as they're getting, but yet the owners have squeezed them in negotiations to put them up against the, their backs up against the wall by waiting so long to make serious offers. So like I said, there's, there's culpability on both sides for this. Mm. So uh, you, you talked, I mean, there's so many different issues you, you touched on there. One of the things you talked about, which was the latest was the international draft. What, can you explain to listen when it gets to lockouts and strikes as a sports fan, I, I kind of go, nope, just tune that out until you figure yeah. it out. I don't want to know about numbers. I didn't get into sports to learn about 
um, collective bargaining agreements and everything like that. You know, I got into sports because I like the games. Right. And unfortunately, a lot now is it's all intertwined. But right. what is that central issue that the players? Yeah, pe like people the don't want the details. The, no. the casual fan, you know, you know, the detail they want settlement, settlement. You know, that's the detail they <laughs> no. want. Uh, a lockout over some, but the international draft, which seems to be the latest big hiccup, you know, for uh, the Latin American countries, Venezuela, Dominican, now Cuba, just all, all the Latin American countries have never been in the amateur draft. And so teams go down there with scouts. They have signing uh, bonus pools assigned to them. And they sign these kids when they're 16 years old. And I don't know what the what the ratio of success is, but it's probably not very high because you're giving a, a lot of money to 16-year-old players, and then who knows what's going to happen to them between age 16 and age 21 or whatever. Are they going to get better? Are they going to get worse? Are they going to stay about the same? Just what's going to happen to them? Anybody anybody that's had children can tell you teenagers are the, probably the least predictable people on earth, right? And that's what these kids are when they sign them. So just to do some cost control and make it more organized – uh, uh, Major League Baseball has one of the years to do a draft with them, just like they do a United States, Canada, and Mexico draft, in which, uh, you know, you each team would get turns picking, and then there'd be signing bonuses uh, slotted in like the regular draft, and just get away from, you know, uh, the same teams getting this, the best talent by offering the most money year after year after year. So it's just, it's just putting everybody – into the same acquisition package. In other words, you come in via the draft or sign as a non-drafted player after the draft. So that's what they want to do. And I think we're up to 25% of all major league players now are Latin players, John. And they're saying no, 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 no. They're voting no. So I'd love to hear some of the internal union discussions because 75% of the guys are probably saying Really, we're going to let this hold up us playing baseball? But, the, you know, I know David Ortiz, who's a newly minted Hall of Famer, has been speaking out in a big way against the draft because they want a free open market down there too. And they think it will stop a whole lot of Latin kids from getting into the uh, organized baseball in the major leagues. So we'll see if they can fix that. You know, they gave – Management gave three proposals uh, to the union yesterday for moving forward in, with that particular topic. And the union uh, decided no, no, and no, and then offered a fourth proposal back. So hmm. they just can't, they literally can't get on the same page in these negotiations. And I know it's getting very frustrating to everybody. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, uh, as far as potential rule changes that might come out of this in the, in the, in the coming years, Will the game look different in the in the future here in the next couple of years with any potential rule changes that could come out of this? Yeah, I think I think it will. They will look different. Um, I don't know how close we are to having robot umpires. Uh, anybody that's seen some of the strike zones the last few years will tell you why not give it a chance to see what happens. But um, the defensive shifting, I do think they're going to make teams put two infielders on the same on the opposite sides of the bag to try to create more offense. You know, God forbid the hitters take the ball the other way and hit to the opposite field. Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs were never uh, were never worried about shifts or anything like that. No. Then, um, you know, I, we definitely need a pitch clock because we got to find a way to move up the pace of games. 
And by giving pitchers a limited number of time to throw a pitch, I do think that'll move the game forward. And they're talking about making the bases bigger too, which is a, that sounds like a little bit of weird science, but I think they're trying to have um, more stolen bases and more teams attempt stolen bases. So with a bigger base, you're closer to the next base, right? Right. And so, um, you know, stealing uh, stolen bases, Ricky Henderson and Lou Brock would have never succeeded in today's game because teams just don't run anymore because they're so afraid of giving up an out on the base paths. You know, the yeah. analytics, the data that's being used now to run games is very different, very different from what we saw in past decades. And, and it's all about don't give up an out because the guy standing at the plate might hit a three-run homer. Oh, man. Yeah, this is the game has looked different. You know, the pitch clock is really interesting to me. Here's one thing I've always wondered about the pitch clock is, are we going to get to a point? You know how in the NBA, like you have to go back to review. Did they get the shot off in time? Yeah. We wouldn't get to a point where something would be decided because the, the ball was still in the pitcher's hand as he was. Yeah. Releasing it. yeah, I don't know how much nitpicking they would do. They, <laughs> they, they've turned instant replay into lots of nitpicking. Right. It's, you know, the 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 uh, spirit of the rule of instant replay was to prevent egregious mistakes by the umpires. But now we're like splitting hairs on, did the guy come off the bag by a hair on the tag? And so um, instant replay has already gotten out of whack from what it was intended to do. And we're, you know, just looking at these infinitesimal little uh, things that, that might make a out into a, a safe call or vice versa. So we're, we're already picking nits with replay. I don't know about the pitch clock, how they, yeah. I mean, I would just hope if the, they've started their arm forward as they get to the, mm. you know, the 20 seconds or whatever they're going to do, that that'll be good enough. You know, yeah. again, let's go with the spirit of the rules and not pick them apart out there in the mound. But, but I mean, they got to do something to pick up the pace of games because um, not, not necessarily always time of game, but there's a lot too much dead time in games and um, it, it hurts the game. Okay. Okay. Now a side question off that too much dead time. You're right. So these, these, some of these implements like the pitch clock would, would speed up the game, but are we going to run into a situation with the baseball where you get rid of the shift, you speed up the pitch clock, um, the bases are bigger, and all of a sudden there are more runs in these games. Maybe the pace of play, like you, you get more action, but now the time of the game perhaps doesn't come down as much because you're scoring more runs. Are we? Is but you don't worry. But you don't worry about it, right? But you don't right. worry about it because it's more action, and you're enjoying the play more. You know, has anybody ever complained about how long the movie The Godfather was? You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've never heard one person say, "You know, that stinking Godfather was just too daggone long." Um, great, great things. People don't, um, you know, worry about the time consumed. But if it's if it's a long amount of time and then a too much dead action within that time, it just becomes a double negative. And so, um, I do think people would be willing to stay three and a half hours if it was just lots of action and lots of you know, good things happening. The the way rallies are now. John is you don't see rallies consist of like eight hits and you know all kinds of guys moving around the bases. You see like three run homers and then the other three guys strike out. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You know, it's become baseball's become a three true outcome sport, a walk, strike out, or home run. It's too often the time one of those three.
Yeah. Um, all right. So then, and you won't get to see any of it this year as a beat writer. Are you excited yeah. to go to a game as a fan? I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about watching a game on TV. And then if it's not a good game, turning the channel, you know, <laughs> you can't do that in the press box. You know, many times I, in the nineties, I wanted to reach for it and turn the channel of the Brewers games. I was watching in the early two thousands too. You know, there were some dark times there. You know, we're in the golden age of Brewers baseball right now, no question about it. Since 08, you know, they've, they've been to the playoffs a lot. And then the last four years. And I know it's frustrating for Brewers fans to have this lockout going because this te- this year's team should be really good. Their pitching is so good now, John. I never, I never thought um, the Brewers uh, organization would evolve into a pitching team. You know, last year they were definitely a pitching team, probably the best pitching depth they've ever had. You know, they had the best starter in the league in Corbin Burns, the Cy Young Award winner, and the best reliever in the league, Josh Hader, the National League reliever of the year for the third time in four years. So, you know, they've got both ends covered, but then all the guys in between were so good, three all-star starters. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back and look from like two, two th- from the opening of then Miller Park to just a few years ago, it was basically Ben Sheets and Giovanni Gallardo, and that was it for homegrown star pitchers. Well, now they've got a bunch of them, and some more coming too. You know, if they can get Yelich figured out offensively and get him back closer to what he was a few years ago, they're going to be tough to beat because their pitching is really good. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. You brought up Yelich. I'm wearing a Yelich jersey. If you're watching, yeah, you're watching on yeah. on Spotify. What needs to happen with him, and what is that timeline like? And um, because I mean, he was special and then I, I don't know, does, does, does anybody have a reason as to why that? Production well, I, I don't think it's a reason. And I think that's why he struggles so much, you know, it all, so um, it all started when he broke his kneecap a few years ago, fell on a pitch off of it, Then he got that healthy. And then we had COVID ball and just, you know, spring trainings were truncated and then a 60 game season. And then, you know, just, he just got messed up at the plate with his mechanics. And, and also I think his confidence took a hit too, no matter how great you are. And in 2018 and 2019, he was great. When you struggle for a long time in any sport, your confidence goes down. And anybody who says it doesn't, doesn't understand sports like they think they do. Because confidence is a big part of the game. And especially hitting, you know, you guys that are confident, um, you know, do better than guys who go up there. Because we, they get into what we used to call paralysis by analysis. They get up there and you're thinking about too many things. And by time your brain unlocks the balls by you, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you've just got to go up there and be free of spirit, free of mind, free of body. Just go out there and turn it loose. And, and I think he's still a young guy. He's still telling a guy. I think he will figure it out. Uh, will he ever be as good as he was in 18 and 19? I don't know. That was pretty special. Yeah. But if he just gets back to being good again, then they'll have something and they'll be a good team. I can relate, by the way, with my golf swing. Um, is where too many things go through your head and you're like, okay. and then you can't you can't hit the ball, right, when you're thinking about 17 things. Yeah, I, I saw a joke about the uh, – here's the a picture of the uh, golfer with no confidence, and he goes into his backswing and he goes, oh, bleep. You know, before he even brings the club forward. Yep, exactly. <laughs> he's, so I, he's, he's defeated, defeated before, you know, club meets ball. And, yeah. and if you're defeated before bat meets ball, it's not going to work. And Keston Hare has been going through the same stuff, you know. 
And yeah. so uh, they've got a couple of guys that if they get squared away at the plate, and uh, they're not going to have to score. They're not going to have to lead the league and run scored with their pitching staff, but they need to do better. I know they were frustrated in the LDS last year against Atlanta because they just their offense just went south on them. And then Atlanta goes on and wins the whole thing, you know, and so they go, they just think about what could have been. So how did you get the job 36 years ago? Because you did go, uh, did you leave for a season, I think, to New York? So how did you get the job and how did you keep the job for 36 seasons? Yeah, well, I got the job uh, by accident kind of in 1985 when the old Sentinel hired me. They had tried somebody else that didn't work, and I had interviewed, and it was on file. And They, they actually hired me in season in 85. There was not only a few weeks left in the season, and they needed a new writer. And so I finished out that season and then went to spring training in 86. And then when the papers merged in um, – 1995, the Sentinel and the uh, Journal merged into one paper of the Journal Sentinel. Drew Olson and I shared the beat for several years. And then uh, my wife got offered a great job in New York City in 01. And we and I we both uh, quit our jobs and moved to New York. And then 9-11 kind of sunk her company. And so she got laid off. And then they offered me my job back in Milwaukee. So we came back. So it was like not quite a two-year hiatus, and I was back. And that that's rare, too, to leave a paper and come back to the paper. And so I just, just fin- you know, starting in 03 to this year, back covering the Brewers again. So accidental journalist, you know, I didn't go to journalism school. I was in pre-med for three years at UVA. Organic chemistry got me. Um, but I had started writing for the student newspaper. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, per- I'm a perfect example about – uh, you don't necessarily have to have your life all figured out when you're in college. Um, things can happen and change your career path. So all I've ever done is be a newspaper reporter my whole life. I don't know. People say, oh, you're going to do a second career. And I said, doing what? I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> this is all I know how to do, you know. And anybody that's followed the um, the newspaper industry the last 10 years knows that it's been a tough time for the industry. So just to stick with a newspaper job for 46 years, I'm proud of and lucky, lucky to have, to have survived all the um, cutbacks in the industry. So uh, it was, you know, rewarding to get to the finish line. It's hard to walk away because, you know, there's only X number of these jobs these baseball jobs are precious. You know, there's only 30 teams to cover. So, but it's been so weird this year with with the lockout and no spring training. You know, normally right now in any other year in my life, I'd be in Phoenix covering the Brewers in spring training. But instead I'm retired and there's also no spring training. You know, so what right. isn't different in my life right now? Every Everything's different. Yeah, no, you're right. Everything is is totally different for you right now. And over the last couple of, of years, you know, you said that you switched – and you started writing while you were at Virginia. Um, so was there a moment before, did you always know that you were good at writing or was there always something in, in the back of your mind that said, hey, maybe I could be a, a, a writer or a sports writer someday? Well, all young writers think they're great. <laughs> <laughs> but years later when I would, anytime I've unpacked any boxes in my basement and come across really old articles, I've looked at them and cringed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, I think like with anything else in life, you get better the more you do it, or hopefully you do. And um, I, I do think I found like a sweet spot later in my career than I had earlier in my career. But, um, you know, I, I'll let others be the judge of that. Um, I, uh, the Journal Sentinel, you know, um, 
allowed me to do something I liked doing for a very long time. So I'm very thankful to my bosses, but I'm very thankful to the readers too. You know, I've had a lot of readers reach out to me in the last few weeks and, and say nice things. And I appreciate that. It makes you, uh, I feel good about what you've done over your career and it, it's hard to believe it's over now, but, um, you know, with the move to Virginia and stuff, I've got lots of things to do. I'm looking forward to, um, taking it easy and walking my two dogs, Digger and Dexter, the yeah. dashing dachshounds. Um, we're going to uh, pick up a few degrees and our move from Milwaukee to Williamsburg. Um, uh, hopefully we can survive the summers there because it's actually hot there in the summer. I've lived over by the lake for a long time. I live in uh, the you know north shore of uh, Milwaukee, and I'm two blocks from Lake Michigan, and it's chilly over here all the time. And even when it's if this this is kind of a Yogi Bear uh, is mm-hmm. Yogi Bearism, but even when it's warm, it's cold over here. So uh, <laughs> it won't uh, be cold in Virginia. I know that. Not in the summer <laughs> or the winter. <laughs> no. Hey, you know, I was listening to the Brewers podcast on WTMJ you did with J.R. Radcliffe recently. And at one point during that uh, interview, you talked about how the baseball beat really requires two riders. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So why do you feel that the baseball beat requires two people? Because they play every day. You know, okay. no, there's no other sport that plays every day, you know, and and it's uh, eight months when you, you include the two months of spring training and the six months of the season. And then if your team makes the playoffs, it goes even longer. You're there a long time. There's no way one guy can do it. For years at the old Sentinel, I was the only writer, but at least I had Saturdays off because we didn't have the Sunday paper. But uh, when we merged, and, uh, and as I said, Drew Olson and I were sharing the beat for years, it was way better with two people. Not, you know, you have a better chance of stuff not falling through the cracks. And you just get a blow every now and then, too. So, you know, I, I wrote in my farewell column, you know, summer vacation is a concept, not a reality for a baseball writer, because that's when they're playing. You know, you're not going to be able to go on vacation in the summer. I go on vacation in the winter, you know, and then – uh and then also the weekends, they play on weekends, you know. So um, it's it's tough on family life. Um, Trish and I, my wife, uh, we never had kids, but people that do have kids, this makes it even harder because you give up a lot um, personally, time-wise, uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, it's just a long season. And I'm not complaining I because I did it for a long time and I, and I understood exactly what I was getting into. But it's just not for everybody. A lot of people would not want to work all summer without time off and then work so many days and months and weeks of the year. But uh, but I can, instead of considering that a negative, I always considered it a positive in a way because when the schedule came out for next season, you already knew where you were going to be just about the whole year. Every yeah. day of the year, you always knew of around Valentine's Day, you were going to spring training around April 1st, the season was going to start around October 1st, it was going to end. And then if your team's in the playoffs, you keep playing and the Brewers have been in four straight years. So those are long years. And, um, but um, it beats the alternative, you know, and, and like I said, these jobs are precious covering baseball. It's a, it's a finite number of those jobs. And in the newspaper industry, even a more finite number because it's just the staffs have gotten smaller, not bigger. And it's also the entire way we ch- we cover games has changed too. Once um, digital became big, you know, it's we're 24 seven. You used to have to wait till the paper published. Now, as soon as they break news, you get it online immediately. 
So I always say we're like doctors. We're on call 24-7. We're exactly like doctors, except without the good pay. <laughs> exactly. You know, you were just you were just saying how the beat requires us every day. And then I started thinking, because you were talking about that a little bit in the podcast too, is it is every day, but it's like every 365 days now because yes. you've got the yes. device, the phone in your hand that if something breaks, you I guess for your bosses, you have no excuse not to post something, right? right. You can't. Uh, the the one the way you can in the off season I've always found it the way you can guarantee big news happening on your beat unexpectedly is to get as far away from your laptop as is humanly possible because that's when news will break and you'll go uh oh I better get back to my laptop you know so uh, but uh, yeah but that's you know we we don't wait for news now it goes right online and so I had to learn a lot of new tricks when I first started I typed on a typewriter and uh. Modern journalists go, what, what is this typewriter you speak of? You know, uh, I saw one in an antique store the other day and said, oh, thanks a lot for that. You know, so, I've heard uh, of those things. But, you know, social yeah, but media, just everything changed, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, you had to you had to adapt or take a hike, you know. And so the dinosaurs were unable to, you know, survive meteors or whatever it was that killed them. <laughs> but newspaper reporters just had to learn how to do uh, stuff digitally and uh you know what we're doing now podcast you know what so uh, yeah it's just there's so many ways now to disseminate information and um social media podcasts chats q a's just all kinds of stuff twitter you know i i i never envisioned i would be as active on twitter as um i was uh in the last several years of my uh baseball writing career and i don't think i've posted a tweet now in like four days and so uh uh, the withdrawal symptoms haven't got me yet. <laughs> well, good for you so far that that hasn't gotten to you. Uh, a couple of final questions for you. Uh, Tom Hodricourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, formerly of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So how much we talk about your summers and how you didn't have time, um, obviously, because the games are going on. So honestly, how much because you said you also are looking forward to like turning off the TV if the game's going bad because you couldn't do that when you were covering the game. How much baseball do you do you honestly think you'll watch? Will you sit down like every evening or do you think that perhaps life will will take over baseball a little bit more? Well, if I try to watch baseball every evening, my wife's gonna have something to say about that because <laughs> she's gonna say she's gonna point out, um, don't you remember when you retired on March 4th, Tom? Um, so uh <laughs> But, and I do have way more in, other interests uh, to watch on TV and, and to do, you know. So, no, I won't watch near as many games, you know. But it'll be great to be able to pick my spots, you know. Yeah. So, there are, in Williamsburg, maybe I'll go to a College of William & Mary baseball game, you know. Uh, or uh, down the road to my hometown of Richmond and watch the Flying Squirrels. Uh, San Francisco Giants double-A team is in Richmond. My brother uh, – Michael goes to a lot of games. Maybe I'll just drive up the road and sit in the stands with him and actually drink a beer and oh. eat a hot dog, which people have thought I've been doing for 40 years. You know, <laughs> that, that's how a lot of people think I just wave my magic wand and my story appears in the paper. You know, when I'm in between eating a hot dog and drinking beer and watching the game, that's not exactly how the career goes. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, there's no way I'll watch near as many games. Okay, but you just got me thinking something real quick too. Did they used to have? I've heard they used to have beer in the press box. Is this the thing? Was this there used real? to be? And in lots of press boxes, there used to be beer taps in the back 
in a like a cafeteria or bar setting where you after you filed your story you could go back and sit and have a beer with the other writers and socialize and uh you know over time that went away i'm sure there's some insurance liabilities yeah. there probably not a good idea you know to promote drinking uh, but it would be an after gear after game um way of socializing with other writers so uh, yeah and uh, but that would be like kicking back after you uh, you um, wrote your story. But the days probably weren't as long as they are now with um, digital because you can. We do a lot of so much pregame stuff. We're writing and getting right online notebooks and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just part of the things that's changed over time. Uh, final question for you because you also mentioned um, the Hall of Fame earlier. I forget when or why you mentioned the Hall of Fame, but it made me think about the Hall of Fame ballot that you put out there. And it made me think about some of the guys that I grew up watching, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, those types of, of guys, Mark McGuire. Will, will those types of players, and what are what's the next step for them to try to reach the Hall of Fame, especially a guy, because I know you voted for Bonds and, and Clemens. Yeah, the, the various veterans committees, you know, the, they've renamed them now like modern era and whatever. Uh, that Their chance to, once you fall off the baseball writers' ballots after 10 years, your only entrance in is to get in through those uh, veteran committees, which are made up of like former ball players and executives, and I think some active writers. So we'll see if they get in. I'm not convinced they will. Um, as you know, that I voted for the steroid guys, but I'll tell you one thing: I, I, I'm not going to miss doing that. Um, yeah, you know that Bonds Clemens uh, stuff just went on and on and on and on for years and years and years, and it's such a sticky wicket. And it just became so controversial. And so I won't miss having to be engaged in that. And, you know, it's uh, we've always been very transparent and, and published our ballots and stuff. But people seem to get way more worked up over the Baseball Hall of Fame than they do of football and basketball. I don't know why. I think it has to do with us being transparent with our votes. You know, committees kind of put the other people in, and nobody knows who. Like, does anybody know who the heck voted for Leroy Butler? I mean, nobody knows who voted for him, right? But he's in. That's all that matters. And congratulations <laughs> to him on that. But uh, yeah. but we're the just the one sport that's transparent with all of the people who are casting ballots, and so you get to come after him a lot more because we're known criminals. <laughs> Will those guys get in what, through these committees? What do you think that'll happen? I don't like their chances. Really? I'm not sure that those. Living Hall of Famers want them in there, you know, oh. and those uh, most of those committees are highly um, numbered with living Hall of Fame. Well, most of those veteran committees have living Hall of Famers voting for them. I'm not sure those guys want them in there. They know that they cheated, you know, and I'm not sure they want them in there. So, yeah. but they know better than me. It, it won't hurt my feelings if they get in. Yeah, I voted for them. You can put on their plaque that they were suspected of doing steroids. You know, mm -hmm. you can account for what the uh, controversies were of their careers, but it's supposed to be a baseball museum. And I think like the all time home run leader should probably be in there in some form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Final question for you. I want you to fill in the blank for me on the 2020, 2022 Brewers. If they do play a season, however many games it may or may not be. Uh, Cause you talked about the pitching staff for the Brewers. So fill in the blank. The 2022 Brewers will be blank. Playing deep into the postseason, you know, they they they've fallen into a very frustrating pattern of losing in the first round to the team that goes on and wins it all, you know, 
go back and look, you know, the, the Nationals, the Dodgers, the Braves last year, they keep losing to the teams that go on and win it all. So they need to get past that first round and go deep into the postseason themselves. And I think that they've got the team to do it this year. If they get back on the field, who knows what's going to happen with how crazy it's going to be to prepare teams. And I hope players don't get hurt by not having enough spring training to get ready for the season. It's going to be, when they ring the bell, it's going to be madness. No matter how long or short spring training is, it's going to be crazy. As heck. There's still like 200 free agents who haven't signed with anybody yet. It's going to be transactional madness when well, they do ring that bell to start spring training. And when they do, if they do, it's it will be transactional madness. But I, baseball fans will be so happy because they'll get that transactional, you know, fun fix. conversation. They'll get their fix. They're waiting they'll for their, their baseball fix. Exactly. They'll get their fix. Uh, Tom, Brewers fans got their fix of you for 36 years. Uh, baseball fans for 46 years writing. That's such an amazing accomplishment. I enjoyed so much time when when you worked on the radio with me, but with the radio show I was a part of. You're always so gracious with your time, and you just know so much about the game, and I learned so much when I talked to you. And Thank you for taking 40-some minutes of your time today, uh, a couple of days after retirement, to, to talk to me a little bit about your career and the upcoming season. Thanks, John. I appreciate for your interest as well. Thank you. All right, there you go. That is Tom Hodricourt, former Milwaukee Brewers beat writer for 36 seasons. Always enjoyed working with Tom. Once again, a reminder, if you want to go pick up a Scotty t-shirt, this is the advice Chauncey Billups gave the volleyball team at Wisconsin in their second season trying to defend a national championship. Don't get bored. Don't, period, get, period, bored. You can see this on Spotify. You can go to johncastpodcast.com, only $19.99 for a t-shirt. Plus, sign up for the Ian's Pizza Johncast Podcast Bracket Contest. You can win a 58-inch 4K television. That's the one we're giving away. If you're watching on Spotify, go sign up. And you can earn bonus points just by listening to the podcast. So don't forget about the bonus points each week of the NCAA tournament. And also brought to you by me and Julio. Me and Julio in Fitchburg, they've got specials all month long in the month of March. You can go check them out. And on March 17th, they've got their green margaritas for $4, their $4 pint green beers, and their $18 corned beef and cabbage on March 17th. Plus, that's the tournament kickoff as well. Go check out all the games at Me and Julio in Madison. All right, we'll have more podcasts for you next week. Thank you for those who tuned in. Thank you for listening to the JohnCast podcast. Goodbye.